This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Thank you, Misha, for joining us this morning. Welcome. Misha Merrill is the guiding teacher for Zen Heart Sangha, our our dear close neighbor. Uh, She's a Dharma heir and teacher in the lineage of Shinrai Suzuki Roshi. Misha, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, um, my pleasure and uh, the wonders and challenges of Zoom, right? (laughs) But how wonderful that you are all um, able now to sit in your Zendo. And thank you all the rest of you who have joined us on Zoom. Um, I myself would have really liked to have been at Jikoji, but because of my work at the school as the pandemic coordinator, and that we are starting very soon with the majority of students who are unvaccinated, um, I have to be very careful right now of where I go and who I'm with. So thank you for putting up with me being on Zoom. I know it's not the same thing as being face-to-face and and I am sorry for that, to regret that I have. So it is really lovely to be here. It's lovely to see the Jikoji Zendo and all of you who are here on screen. Um, I wanted to start with a koan that all of you already know and And the thing is, I have always talked about it from one point of view, uh, but because of this last 18 months, uh, there's another part of it that I suddenly realized was uh, very important to me and something that I hadn't really explored before. So the koan is the one about not knowing is most intimate. Dai Zhang asked Fayan, where are you going? Fayan replied, around on pilgrimage. Daizhang said, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? Fayan said, I don't know. And then Daizhang said, ah, not knowing is most intimate. So for me, always the not knowing is most intimate has been the part that I focused on. And not knowing is most intimate. It's really, it's not about knowing. It's actually knowing that you don't know. That is a beautiful part of our practice. But I was very struck suddenly by that line, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? So I began thinking about that word pilgrimage. And, you know, this is, it often implies going on a journey that has an end point and maybe a starting point too. And it often includes going to shrines or holy places or, or walking the same path as a holy person walked. And so in the case of this koan, uh, Fayan is on foot through China, along with hundreds of other monks at the time. And this is because they've been in a monastery someplace for some period of time. And Basically, they're going out to test their understanding and hopefully meet up with someone who asks a penetrating question like Dai Zhang. 
So there's lots of well-known pilgrimages that we can do today. We don't have to travel across China necessarily, but you know, for Christians, one of the big ones is the Camino de Santiago, which is the way of St. James and the path that he took uh, through Spain and Portugal. And for Muslims, of course, uh, making Hajj, going to Mecca, uh, you are required by religious law to make that trip at least once in your life. And for Japanese Buddhists, going to Japan and going on the Shikoku pilgrimage from one end of Japan to another is also a very important holy pilgrimage where you visit you know, hundreds of temples. And of course, <laughs> the most recent pilgrimage that we can look to is the one of people going up in rockets to get to the edge of space. And of course, only very few people get to do that pilgrimage. But even Richard Branson said, I've heard that when you do something like this, you come back a little changed. That is a definition of pilgrimage as well. If you don't come back changed, why did you go, right? But one of the reasons I really started thinking about this is about the internal pilgrimage that we are all on. Each time we sit down in Zazen, each time we do a session, each time we do a memorial service, each time we do a christening, we are on a pilgrimage. So exactly what do we mean? Why would we do this? What is it that Taizhang really wants to know when he asks that question? What is the purpose of pilgrimage? So generally, we think of education as a way to amass information to increase our general knowledge, which is gonna make our life more interesting, fuller, and possibly more safe. But in Buddhist practice, we're actually doing the development of wisdom and compassion. So our practice is not of amassing information or intellectually analyzing koans, but it's actually about self-reflection and internal questioning. So Dai Zhang's questions seem pretty ordinary in a sense, you know, where are you going? What are you doing, right? But actually he's asking, really, what are you doing? And who is it that's doing it? So as I say, in Fayan's time, lots of monks left their teachers, went out on the road and were testing their understanding to see if they had really understood what their teacher said or if somebody else had a different point of view. And, uh, and so they always are asking questions or answering questions and getting into Dharma combat. And there's lots of blows and many koans. But Dai Sheng, this is different. He's pointing to the importance of questions. He understands that pilgrimage is actually not about getting answers. It's in finding our question, which is a lot harder to do in a sense. This is the question that's deep inside of each of us and, and it's framed differently for each of us, but um, it's in our hearts. And it's buried deep sometimes. So the, the author, Rachel Remen, said something I just love. She says, you know, perhaps the secret of living well is not in having all the answers, but in pursuing unanswerable questions 
in good company. I can't think of a better definition of Sangha, quite frankly. That's great. We're all pursuing unanswerable questions, the unfathomable nature of Buddha mind in good company, each other. So what are some of the aspects of pilgrimage? Well, there are a lot of commonalities. Usually it's a journey of some length and difficulty, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And you have to usually accept a certain amount of physical discomfort and maybe emotional discomfort, but you continue on the journey no matter what. So I remember when I went to Japan to live in a monastery for six weeks, there came a time in that last week when if Scotty had been able to beam me up back to home in America, I would have taken him up on it. It just came to a point where I had had it. I was tired. We had just been doing the begging practice in the big town of Kumamoto. And I didn't understand most of what was going on because I didn't speak very much Japanese. But then the next morning, I was okay again. And I went on. So there has to be a willingness to let go of our normal routines, our normal thinking patterns, our normal ideas, in order to allow other stuff to come in that perhaps has never occurred to us before. And if we're really fortunate on our pilgrimage, maybe we have a few moments of insight. Sometimes you have insight about other people and other cultures, but actually the most important ones are the insights about self. You know, here I thought I was Miss Resilience. But, you know, when I went to Japan, it was my very first time out of the country. <laughs> and I went to a country where I didn't speak the language other than, you know, hello, oh, isn't it humid today? Doesn't get you very far. And I found out that I had some pretty big limitations inside. And I was young, you know, I think I was 36. But hopefully, the other thing that pilgrimages have in common is that you return home refreshed and reminded of the vastness of the world and your small place in it. And also the unbelievable um, variety of human existence. So it's like the old saying, you know, when you first start practice, mountains and mountains, rivers are rivers. And then when you've practiced for a while, mountains are no longer mountains and rivers are no longer rivers because you think you've understood something. And then later in your practice, you finally realize, oh, mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers. But of course, it's not the same as it was in the beginning. So a few weeks ago, I was really fortunate to be able to be on a, a webinar lecture um, by a former California Teacher of the Year, Alex Kajitani. And the title of his talk was The Culture of Belonging. I thought, oh, okay. So first of all, he gave us a couple definitions and he said, you know, culture is just the way things are around here. So the culture at Jikoji is different than the culture at Zenhart Sangha, which is different than the culture at Kanando and different than you know, pretty much any other center. Every center, every sangha has its own unique culture. So culture is just the way things are around here, how we do things. Like your chanting is slightly different than our chanting. And it's wonderful. It wakes me up. I love that. But then he went on to belonging. 
And what are, what's meant by that? So I'm going to do the same thing with you that he did with us, which is I want you for just a moment, take a deep breath, and I want you to think about a time when you felt like you completely belonged. Just for a moment, think about that. So his point was belonging is not about fitting in. Fitting in is like working on a puzzle and you come to a place where there's a piece that needs to be found. And you find a piece that's almost right if you shaved a little off of this extension and you made a little larger hole over here. That's fitting in. That's changing who you fundamentally are in order to belong, but that's not actual belonging. Belonging is when you can just be and when you can express yourself and a place where you feel it's safe to push and challenge yourself when you are just you. So you're probably saying, what on earth does this have to do with pilgrimage? Uh, okay, getting there. <laughs> belonging is a, in this sense is a really great description again of our practice. I've often heard, and I know I had this experience myself that when people first arrive at a Zendo or a Zen center, they often have this feeling of, whoa, I've come home. I remember having that feeling the first time I stepped into Kanando's Zendo. I had never seen a Zendo before. I'd never even seen a picture of one. But the moment the door opened to the Zendo and I looked inside, it was like, oh, I know this place. This feels familiar. This feels right. And I didn't even know what I meant by that. You know, this idea of coming home, I didn't even know I hadn't been. Right? So you aren't trying to fit in. Something seems so familiar to your deepest self. You know, Suzuki Roshi used to call this your true home, right? Coming back to your original self, that is when you truly belong. And, you know, monk ordination is often referred to as home leaving, but leaving what home and going where? In a sense, Fayan has left his home, which is somewhere in China, but until Dai Zhang stops him cold with his question of what is the purpose of pilgrimage, he actually is still in a place that is not his true home. He hasn't completely arrived at his true home. And that is why Dai Zhang says, ah, not knowing is most intimate. So, it just happened a couple of weeks after I started thinking about all of this. Someone sent me a link to a movie that has been made uh, about Thomas Merton. And what it is, is a young man has decided to take up the same pilgrimage that Thomas Merton made to the West and follow in his footsteps. So in case you don't know, Thomas Merton was an incredible Christian mystic who was a member of the Cistercian Order, which is that group that goes into complete silence. They take a vow of silence for the rest of their lives. And 
Merton was at a monastery called Gethsemane back in the East and kept trying to find places where he could get even further away. You know, he had his work there, but to get even further away to go deeper into the silence. So he had talked his abbot into letting him live in a little hut on the acreage and it still wasn't enough. So for whatever reason, he got it into his head that he should go to the West and somewhere in the Redwoods and maybe he would find his little mini pilgrimage monastery there. So he started by talking about pilgrimage. He said, perhaps I have an obligation to preserve the stillness, the silence, the poverty, the virginal point of pure nothingness, which is at the center of all other loves. So the young man who is following in his footsteps says, he had been searching for that center his whole life. Le point verge, the virginal point, he called it. He is describing emptiness, right? The virginal point of pure nothingness, which is the interconnection of all things where nothing has an abiding nature because everything is dynamic and interconnected. And, you know, you move one finger and something else changes in the universe because of it. You can't do anything or say anything or not say something or not do something without it having cause and effect. So on the topic of pilgrimage though, Merton wrote, man, woman, instinctively regards himself as a wanderer and a wayfarer. And it is second nature for him to go on pilgrimage in search of a privileged and holy place, a center and source of indefectible life. This hope is built into his psychology and whether he acts it out or simply dreams it, his heart seeks to return to a mythical source, a place of origin, the home where the ancestors came from, the mountain where the ancient fathers were in direct communication with heaven, the place of the creation of the world, paradise itself with its sacred tree of life. So I love that line, a privileged and holy place, a center and source of indefectible life, indefectible without defect, pure, perfect. This is, by the way, not the holy place of martyrs or saints. You know, when I went to Italy 16 years ago, I went to all these churches and every single church has a relic. That's one of the ways they get people to come in to tell them about which relic they've got. You know, the left little finger of St. Anne or the right toe of St. Anthony. And, and then you find out that some of these relics got stolen and then they got stolen back. And it's just kind of bizarre that you're going to visit a church because of you know, somebody's left toe. We're not talking about that. It's not that these people aren't important in, in a certain way, but we're really talking about the privileged and holy place that is inside each one of the Buddhas sitting here today and all the other Buddhas out there. We are talking about the place of origin. We are talking about our true self. 
the true pilgrimage. I mean, all these other pilgrimages are great, but the true pilgrimage is actually within. However, it may be that you can only find the one within by doing the exterior journey. And that is why so many people do these pilgrimages. So I was talking about this recently with some other Dharma friends, and one of them said, you know, I went on Hajj with my mother one year. And there we were doing prostrations with 500,000 people all at once. And I just got chills thinking about being in the middle of that sea of humanity, bowing, standing, bowing. I mean, I even love it when we're all in the Zendo and we're bowing, but I don't think I've ever done it with 500,000 people. So on the one hand, you become the universal, you know, the absolute. You're just part of the larger body. And at the same time, there's you doing those bows. So there's self and no self right there in the middle of that. So Dogen talked a lot about pilgrimage, actually. And, and one of the places he talks about it the most is in the Fukanza Zengi. He starts it by saying, the way is originally perfect and all pervading. How could it be contingent on practice and realization? The true vehicle is self-sufficient. What need is there for special effort? Indeed, the whole body is free from dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from this very place. What is the use of traveling around to practice? The true vehicle is self-sufficient. That's you. That's me. That's everyone. Everything that we need to go on this pilgrimage, everything we need to understand at the end of the pilgrimage is already here. It's already right here and now. Of course, we have to wake up to knowing that, which is why we do put in some special effort and sit. But, you know, he's very clear. It is never apart from this very place. What is the use of traveling around to practice? You know, if you can't find it here, inside yourself, you're not going to find it in Japan. You're not going to find it in Minnesota. You're not going to find it down in, you know, South America. There's a, a very funny uh, clip from Saturday Night Live that came on years ago, but somebody just resent it to me, which was a perfect example of this. It's of an Italian tour guide advertising for his tours in Italy. And uh, he's interviewing a few happy customers and talking about all the places he's going to take you and all the wonderful things you're gonna see. But then finally he says, ah, but there is one thing we can't guarantee. If you are a sad you at home and you bring your sad you to Italy, you are gonna be sad you in Italy, no matter what we do. So leave your sad you at home or we cannot guarantee you will have a good time. 
And I, I was laughing because I was thinking, you know, this is that old joke of wherever you go, there you are. This is a problem for us. This is the problem with pilgrimage, actually. Wherever you go, you're going to take yourself with you with all of your delusions and ideas. And so at some point on our pilgrimage, our internal pilgrimage, we have got to set down all that other stuff that has plagued us since we were, you know, able to have consciousness of it. You know, I've always thought we're basically working out the first five years of our life. Whatever happened in those first five years, we're still working on now. And, and it's this wonderful spiral. You know, each time we come around, the spiral gets a little bit bigger and a little higher. It gets a little further away. And then, boing, oh, shoot, I thought I was done with that. And it hits us again. Then we go around and the circle gets even larger. And if we're really lucky, someday we finally get in touch with it and say, okay, enough already. So Dogen goes on to say, therefore, put aside the intellectual practice of investigating words and chasing phrases and learn to take the backward step that turns the light and shines it inward. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but this has been a pretty strange 18 months for a whole lot of reasons. And now that Zoom is so popular and so easily accessed, uh, you know, we never even have to leave our home. We can listen to lectures all over the world. We can do sashim with anybody we want to. We don't even have to travel there. You know, we can read Dharma books. We can listen to audio books. We can get our Dharma completely individualized, like having a personal trainer. And while there is some value in these things, and boy, I am the first one to say thank you whoever created Zoom, because I don't think we could have run school this last year without it. Um, it's also great if you do not have access to a teacher or a sangha, it's a wonderful introduction, but I think you know as well as I do that it's not quite the same thing. Those of you who are sitting at the Jikoji Zendo today are having a different experience than those of us who are sitting in our homes. And while they are related, they are not the same thing. It, it's kind of like the, uh, the Zen saying about, you know, uh, practicing uh, this way is like trying to eat a painting of a rice cake. It looks like a rice cake. You can see that but it's not nearly as nourishing because you really can't taste anything. In order to really get to the bottom of your practice, of course, you need to go on pilgrimage to be with a teacher and a sangha as well. There's the internal and that's the external because you need someone who knows you intimately, you know, who is a good Dharma friend who can hold up that mirror very gently and just say, oh, did you see what you just did? Or, oh, that was a lovely expression of generosity. Whatever it is, it confirms us in, you know, it's like Fayan running around China. You just get a little bit of feedback. It's very helpful. So Dogen goes on, he says, although they say that there are 10,000 distinctions and a thousand variations, they just wholeheartedly engage the way in Zazen. 
Why leave behind the seat in your own home to wander in vain through the dusty realms of other lands? So we have to be careful not to misunderstand this, this uh, dictum from Dogen. The 10,000 distinctions and the thousand variations are of course, even in Dogen's time, there were lots of different practices. There were many different lineages. Dogen himself started the Soto lineage, but of course there was the Rinzai lineage and there were three others that I know of at the time. Plus there was Tendai, which is what Dogen first started with. So there, there were literally 10,000 distinctions. And as I say, I noticed it even today in the chanting, the words to a few things are a little different. And there's at least one thing I'd like to incorporate now in that, into ours. But none of those things actually matter because we are all wholeheartedly engaging the way in the one thing that we all share. And that's Sazen. So when Dogen says, why leave behind the seat in your own home to wander in vain through the dusty realms of other lands? He's not, he's not saying, don't go to Japan and do the Shikoku pilgrimage. Don't go to the Camino of Santiago. He's warning us not to leave this home, our spiritual center, our original self. Don't try to fit in. Instead, your work is to belong in the most fundamental way. Pilgrimage is not about wandering through dusty realms of other lands. It's about wandering inside here with purposeful awareness so that even after years of practice, some of our habitual behavior or deeply ingrained ideas may actually fall away. This happened for me just recently. I finally saw that there are certain things that I make decisions about that are based on not very sound principles. And I finally made a different decision. And it was one that was going to have a lot of effect, but I still needed to make it because I thought, you know what, that's the definition of insanity. When you keep making the same decision over and over, expecting a different outcome. So in my case, I was asked yet again to take on a position of great responsibility. And frankly, over the last 18 months, having been the pandemic coordinator and the assistant head of my school, I've lost my taste for it. I don't need to be in charge anymore. I need to just be a simple monk and sharing the, the Dharma with my friends and my Sangha and other Dharma friends like you. I've realized that that's really where my heart is. That's where my original self is. And so even though I was asked to take on the leadership of another Zen center, I, I had to decline and I have no regrets. It was the right thing to do. So Dogen's main advice, wholeheartedly engage the way in Zazen. So I'm preaching to the choir here as usual, because obviously you are all wholeheartedly engaging the way in Zazen or you wouldn't be here this morning. But I think his point is that even he, even all the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and, and Kobenshino Roshi and Suzuki Roshi and 
bodhidharma, none of them can actually liberate us from our conditioned life. Only we can take those steps every day, every moment. We need to take the backward step and shine the light inward. And that is the pilgrimage of our whole life and well worth doing. Thank you so much. So I don't know if there's time, it doesn't look like it, for questions or comments. I mean, if there was, I would love to hear about any pilgrimages that you have done. Uh, as I said, I was very moved by this other person's description of Hajj. And you know, maybe you've done a pilgrimage that would be wonderful to share. So. We do have time. So anyone please bring your questions or comments forward. Okay. Uh, thank you for this talk. Uh, I kind of, one thing you said in the beginning of the Quran, uh, you focus on the pilgrimage, which is beautiful. Um, the, the, the famous part of the Quran is not knowing is the most intimate. And uh, one time um, there was some exchange between uh, um, the disciple Suzuki Roshida just died in Berkeley. Mel Whiteman. Oh, Mel Whiteman. Uh -huh. Yeah. And myself in a in a in a mountain seat ceremony, not for him but for his disciple. Uh -huh. And um, I um, afterwards I asked something about knowing, and afterwards he, there was a banquet, and he told me, "I heard your question." He just came and he said. Um, not knowing is complete knowing. Uh -huh. So I, <laughs> I have had different kind of things with that. Um, and, uh, but I'm interested in what you, you'll say about it. And yeah, and, and uh, from what I understood from your talk, uh, this kind of not knowing is like dropping everything else off and completely knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I would say that um, the not knowing has to do, of course, with intellectual knowledge, right? Chasing words and phrases. And that when Fayan says he doesn't know, it's partly because He's thinking about the question. He's like, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? Uh -huh. and, and he's in his head. And Daijang is like, get out of your head. What's here? And as you say, what's in your deepest self? What is in your true nature? And there, you know everything. You know, Suzuki Roshi once said to Blanche Hartman, she, she was talking to him in Dokasan, and he said, uh, uh, you are perfect as you are. 
and she said to herself, he doesn't know me very well. <laughs> and, but actually, he knew her as completely as Dajang knew Fayan, because in that deepest place, you know everything that you need to know. But getting there, <laughs> that's the trick. Yeah, thank you. That's a wonderful. You know, I just want to say that the first time I met Mel Weitzman uh, was my very first night at Kanando. And I had come into the Zendo and everyone was sitting. And of course, we were facing the wall. Like 10 minutes into Zazen, there's this hustle and bustle and, you know, robes. You can just, you can hear material flying around. And when we turned around after the bell, there's two guys sitting up front in black robes. One's kind of skinny, one's a little overweight. And it turned out that Mel Weissman was the guest speaker that night. So it was less than Mel. And, you know, I mean, I'm brand new. It's my first night. And at the end of the talk, I'm more confused than I was at the beginning, which was, you know, pretty far already. So I went out into the little Sangha room and I went straight up to him because that's who I am. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but um, I'm confused. This is my first night. And it sounded to me like you were saying, don't sit. And I just got here. And Mel burst out laughing. <laughs> he said, perfect, just keep coming back. <laughs> so, so he understood that I was in the wrong kind of knowing. I was wanting, you know, intellectual understanding. And he knew that with my first visit, that was absolutely not going to happen. So thank goodness for Mel Weitzman. <laughs> thank you. So if there's someone in the Zendo and you're raising your hand, I can't possibly see you. I, all I see is little silhouettes. So please let me know. But Michelle? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, I know you focused more on the term pilgrimage, but could you expand a little bit on the word intimacy? Mm, intimacy. Intimacy to me has changed a lot over this last year. Sorry. Intimacy is getting to know this one here in such a deep way and accepting everything about it. Accepting that you are not the strong, perfect, kind, compassionate, smart individual that maybe you thought you were, and that it's okay. The intimacy that Daizheng is talking about is finally, is, is what Dogen talks about. It is the Dharma gate of joyful ease when you finally get there. But this has been a really hard, time for all of us in completely different ways. And I think each of us had to face something about ourselves that we have never had to face before. And I think it's different for each one of us. I had to bring into question everything that I knew about myself because 
everybody else was bringing it into question. And everyone else's fear was palpable and needed to be met. And so many times I would uh, cry myself to sleep at night after a particularly hard day. But when I would get up the next morning and the alarm went off, I just, it just had to step through the door of the new day and start fresh, knowing how, you know, lacking in uh, ability or competence or compassion I had been the day before. And so I feel like um, there are parts of myself that I've had to become very intimate with and that it was very uncomfortable, which was a big part of my pilgrimage this year. And it was uncomfortable in exterior ways, but it was very uncomfortable inside as well. But you get to the point where you can even let that go of it being so raw and getting to that place of what Suzuki Roshi was talking about. Even that is perfect. Thank you, what a great question. Hello. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I had a follow-up question on that, uh, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so um, as you were uh, saying that about, uh, about knowing something about yourself, which was very different from what it actually was uh, and recognizing the true self and being okay with it, um, is 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 in a way a true pilgrimage and being intimate with that. Um, and so, like one of the things that I um, like I wonder about is that just like for a fish, it's very difficult to see what water is uh, because the fish have lived inside the water or. Um, in a similar way, it's it's hard to it's hard to see something that you have lived with, uh, and so if you could share uh, like some tools for pilgrimage, I was I was uh, I was hesitant to ask it, but then but then this this question brought it about that in your experience, this um, uh, you were uh, able to um, be more intimate with yourself. Uh, and so, do you have any recommendations or tools for for us to see? Which is sometimes you know, it's things are right in front of our eyes. We keep living with it. Um, how to how to see something? It's, it's, in a way, I can say how to ask a question we don't know how to ask. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I I think it, I'm I'm trying to you know get to the bottom of your question. So if I don't answer it, please let me know. But I actually think that it is the major silver lining of this pandemic. Human beings do not willingly put themselves in such uncomfortable, uncertain, dangerous situations. 
you know, there's a few people out there that like to do extreme sports, let's say, but most of us live a pretty comfortable, quiet, you know, non-dangerous existence. Most of us feel, feel it's an illusion that we have some certainty in our life. And this last 18 months was not only experienced by all of us, but for the first time in our lives, it was experienced by every single person in the world. There's, there's never been something like this. You know, we've, we have an earthquake in California and the rest of the country looks on and says, oh, that's too bad and let's send some money. Or there's a, you know, typhoon in India and thousands of people die. Or there's a nuclear meltdown in Japan. And we're all looking at it from a distance saying, oh, that's terrible. What can I do to help? This is different. This is everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's experiencing the loss. I mean, I don't know about you, but I lost three family members this last year. Not to COVID, but it doesn't really matter. I was still not able to be with them. Everybody has had losses. Loss of job, loss of livelihood, loss of health, loss of family. It, it's the most amazing time of loss that I can remember. Even, even world wars were still somewhere far away for most of us. You know? Who knows really what goes on in Afghanistan? We can only read the papers. Unless you're a vet, you don't know. But we all know about this. And none of us would have chosen this. So you ask for my recommendations of how to really finally see who you really are. This is, this is it. We're in it. You're right. A fish in water cannot possibly understand what land is like until the fish is thrown out of the water and no fish is going to do that voluntarily. So here we are, we're all fish out of water at this point, we're all flapping around more or less trying to get back in the water, you know. To me, as a pandemic coordinator, this, this is the most dangerous time of all because, you know, the first part was like the river, the river of COVID, we were going down that river. And everyone was looking out at the ocean thinking, wow, I can't wait till we get to the ocean where everything can be normal again. But what happens when a river and the ocean come together at that inlet, it's all roiled up with salt water and the fresh water are all mixing and it's a mess. And that's where we are right now. There are people who are just sick to death of all of this and they just wanna be done. And so, you know, they're not going to follow the protocols and there are people who didn't believe in the protocols in the first place. And, and then you've got people who are so scared, they won't come out of their houses. They're becoming agoraphobic. We have basically got an entire year or two of kids suffering from PTSD now. We're gonna be paying for this for years and years to come and we're not done. And I keep telling everybody, wear your mask. It's the final mitigation. You know, if you're not gonna get vaccinated, please wear your mask for, for everyone, including yourself. But one of the ways we become intimate, one of the ways we, it's, it's not just intimate with self, it's intimate with no self because I, I read something the other day, it was the difference between um, personal 
liberty, and communal responsibility. And again, this comes right back to our practice. I think that we understand that we're talking there about self and no self, relative and absolute, and we need to exist in both. Yes, there is personal liberty, but there is definitely communal responsibility. And so while I'm busy getting to know this one intimately in ways that I truly wasn't expecting, it's also the case that everyone who is willing to do the work can wake up as well. But of course, it's, it's that part willing to do the work. So that's, that's my biggest recommendation really is we've all been given this incredible opportunity. I mean, you can look at the pandemic as an opportunity to wake up finally. And so much else happened this year. You know, we, I think maybe we finally woke up to how unjust our society is for many reasons. And maybe we finally woke up to the fact that we are really in a mess climate-wise. It's probably too late to do anything at this point, but we still have to try. So there's just so many things that we need to be waking up to. But, but we have to, the intimacy part is we have to wake up here first. If we don't wake up here and then we go out there and try and make changes, it's inevitably going to be incredibly flawed. But if we start here and delve deeply, you know, I've been dealing with other people's fear now for so long. I wasn't actually able, I mean, my mother died last October. I really didn't have any time to mourn her because I was so busy doing what I needed to do to help others. And I'm only now beginning to be able to do that. But sometimes that's what you have to do. You have, you just have to, the alarm goes off, you get up in the morning and you do what is in front of you. And you do it to the best of your ability, knowing full well, intimately, that you are completely flawed and you still have to do it. That is intimacy. And the only way, the only recommendation is to go into it completely. Feel the fear, feel the uncertainty, feel your own lack and be okay with it. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Laura, I think you had a question. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I wanted to share because it's, um, it's so fascinating the time, the timeliness of, of your, your talk. I, I've just realized in this conversation that I have gone on, I went on a pilgrimage last week without recognizing it as such. Um, and uh, three years ago, August 19th, my mother passed away and uh, my birthday is August 20th. And the day after she passed away, I was in a funeral home. I was making arrangements and that's how I spent that birthday. And since then, I literally 
mentally moved my birthday a full month away that I could not have those two events associated with each other. Mm -hmm. It was simply too painful. Uh, And this year, the third year, I decided that I needed to be somewhere quiet. And what I found was uh, Jokoji and the synchronicity of it was that I was born in Las Garros. And my father lived, had a home on Skyline Drive. So it was, it was, there was too much there to not, to not go. And the other things I did was, you know, for the first time in three years, I drove through the Monterey area on the anniversary of her death, which I have not done. I've gone on the anniversary of her birth, but not on the anniversary of her death. And that was very, very hard. Um, But being at Chikoji, and I've never been to a a retreat, uh, the feeling of being there and encountering the people I encountered and how incredibly welcoming the space is, how unique it is, Yet for me, growing up and spending time in that area, the fact that the the air smells like bay, bay laurel, it to me that was home. That is what I associate with home. So that was a really last weekend was very profound. And you know, going to visit an old my old house when I was a child, you know, things like that that I haven't done in fifty years. Uh, I think that was all of those things together, as I said, I, I think really formed a pilgrimage, unbeknownst to me, mm-hmm. but that's what it was. And it is it has made a, a big difference. Mm-hmm. So like I said, and to hear your, your talk now, that was, again, the synchronicity is quite amazing. Well, first of all, may I offer my sadness about your mom? And having experienced it a year ago, October myself, um, I I feel it right here. And it's funny because I just did a pilgrimage to Monterey because I had the urns, the little urns of both my mother and father because we had saved my fathers because my mother always wanted the remains to be mixed. And I went down to a little inlet uh, in Pacific Grove and sent them on their final Pacific cruise. Um, but, but what I love about what you're sharing is that I think we think a pilgrimage has to be this big deal, right? That it has to be something that's like, you, you have to get on an airplane and you know, go someplace and walk for miles. And I think we're doing a pilgrimage from the moment we get up in the morning to the moment we go to sleep. And then there are pilgrimages like you've described. and. And then there are those pilgrimages to Santiago El Camino or, you know, something. Um, Our whole life is a pilgrimage. And becoming aware of that, as I say, I think this last year, I I watched the pilgrimage of COVID followers, (laughs) of which everybody was one, and how we do it, how we do our pilgrimage. And... And our work as as Buddhist practitioners to do it with awareness and compassion that hopefully leads to some kind of wisdom. So I think it was very wise of you to separate your birthday from your mother's death day 
for your own well-being. And I hope that one day the, the hurt will be a little less upfront. It's still pretty close for me. Thank you. Thank you. So I know that we've gone yeah. over a lot. Yeah. So yeah, we just lunch bell, Misha. So yeah. we're gonna do a closing chant now. It's also on page two. Okay. May our intentions equally extend to every meaning and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to win them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.